The UN says that humanity stands on the brink of catastrophic man-made climate change. But is it true? Not a chance. But we do stand on the brink of catastrophic government policies that threaten to ruin the nation our forefathers built and defended against tyranny. So what drives the climate scare, Jay? Besides simple ignorance, the scare is driven by corporate greed and the desire of governments to control all aspects of our lives, Tom. Is this part of something more sinister? Indeed it is. Whether it's climate change or a pandemic or socialism, it really means sacrificing your rights and accepting the tyranny of the fourth branch of government, the bureaucracy. It must be stopped. This is The Other Side of the Story with Dr. Jay Lair and Tom Harris of the International Climate Science Coalition. The greatest theft in American history is about to get much, much worse. You got that right, Tom. The federal government already owns over 25% of the land in the United States, most of it out west. But they want 30% more in a very vague executive order signed three days after taking uh, his inauguration. He signed Executive Order 14008 that uh, calls for the federal government taking over 30% of our land and 30% of our water in order to conserve it, basically, for future generations. The executive order had no details. No details have come out since then. But it's been the tenor of the federal government uh, long before Biden for, you know, actually the better part of a century, if not a full century, to want to uh, take land away from the public, take land away from the, uh, the states. But uh, it, it isn't going to happen. And by explaining all of this to our audience, I think we'll have many more people that will uh, be able to fight it in the, the, the coming months. Uh, so let's start by enlightening our audience as to what land the federal government was supposed to or allowed to own when the Constitution was written by our founding fathers. I think very few people, uh, I'm sure very few of our listeners are aware of this. So under English common law, a most unique significance was attached to the unalienable rights of possessing, developing, and disposing of uh, property. Actually, America's founders took this as a biblical injunction, uh, literally, and believed that no government official has a right to interfere with the God-given inalienable right and mandate. Their belief was that the land belonged to the people, not the king. Uh, and this was uh, an impetus for including uh, the grievances in the Declaration of Independence. One was the king has endeavored to prevent the population of these states and raised conditions of, of new appropriations of land. Uh, secondly, in the declaration, they said uh, he has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. King George also attempted to prevent the colonists from possessing uh, the, the new lands west of the Appalachian mountains. The land belongs to the people, not the government of the king. So in the Declaration of, of Independence, there was a lot about land. Uh, one of the reasons they wanted to get rid of the king and have their own country was to control their own land. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and not only that, they wanted to control it at the local level. They didn't want to have the centralized control of land. And so it was not just the king. They didn't even want centralized control by a democratically elected federal government. They wanted it at the local level. Uh, that's exactly uh, correct. Uh, this, like many other ideas of the founders, led them to reject the old established way of centralized control of the land and to institute orderly control at a much more local level, which would be administered close to the people for their benefit. Uh, states, uh, counties, and local governments became the support for organized private ownership of land with only a little bit dedicated to the common usage of the people. To ensure that this arrangement would forever be maintained, the founders gave very specific restrictions uh, to the uh, federal government concerning the ownership and control of land. So what this current administration is doing uh, goes right back to the heart of the Constitution. And uh, as we already know, uh, this government would love to destroy the current Constitution and write their own, which would, of course, be a socialist, if not a communist constitution. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I'll just quote from Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17 of the U.S. Constitution. It says specifically that federal property should be limited to forts, magazines, arsenals, dockyards, and other needful buildings. And to acquire the land from the states, they had to first have permission, consent from the relevant state governments. You know, and I don't think that's happening at all now, is it? No, they've absolutely run roughshod over that entirely. One of the interesting things is that the Constitution didn't focus at all on having much land in, in common ownership of the people. And one might think, oh, well, we're getting rid of the king and we're having our own government. Uh, we want to own things ourselves. And one might have thought that they wanted to have land in common. But they knew hundreds of years ago, actually, the tragedy of the commons. This is a topic that's been uh, written back about by many agricultural people and, and philosophers that sadly, if everybody owns something, it doesn't work very well for the something. In terms of land, if nobody or no particular entity is responsible for land, it generally is destroyed. I mean, that is the tragedy of the commons. And we've seen historically when there was joint ownership of property, things do not get taken care of. It's called the tragedy of the commons. And in, in a sense, it's sort of surprising that back a couple hundred years ago, our founders were aware of that and they did not request much land to be held in common. I mean, you know, we, in, in our towns today, we have a town square. We actually might have a town garden that people can share, but it's at a very, very uh, limited level. And as you just said, uh, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17 of the Constitution clearly limited the federal land. And it's worth repeating that uh, the very small land can be acquired by the national government and it needs the consent of the state legislature, which has virtually never been done. And, you know, the fact that they said the federal government should only have military land for forts, arsenals to keep their weapons, uh, dockyards, of course, along 
the sea, and maybe a few needful uh, buildings. And when they established the District of Columbia, it was a very, very limited uh, amount of land. We've seen just a total change in the attitude of the federal government. Mm -hmm. So when they have their nuclear missile silos, for example, in Arizona, and I was there, by the way, to the National Historic Site of the Titan missile. I was there a few years ago, uh, just south of Tucson, and it's really worth going. You can go several stories down into the ground and you can see where they would actually launch an ICBM from. And the ICBM is actually still there in the silo, not with a nuclear weapon on top. They've taken it off. But that would be definitely a, a valid use of state land, federal having ICBM silos, right? Absolutely. And there, there was not too much problem there because you know, they were putting nuclear weapons on the, the land. And so there was not a problem with the states in those days. They, they definitely worked hand in hand in taking that land and uh, using it for the defense of the country. So it, it, was, uh, it was not a problem. One of the few areas where the states and the federal government worked uh, together on the management of uh, land in defense of the country. So, Jay, this means the federal government has been violating the Constitution for a century and a half. It, to the best of your knowledge, have any states ever sued the government? Not to my knowledge, but they almost all should, all the Western states, if they care. But they, they rolled over, basically, and let uh, the federal government take over. But you're exactly right. It, it has been uh, almost a century and a half that uh, the federal government has uh, defied the Constitution. And, you know, one of the reasons of our doing this show and writing the article of America Out Loud was really to raise an issue that uh, is hidden from the public and not aware of and really try to drum up interest on the parts of the states because there should be some suits between states and the federal government. Mm -hmm. Well, in our article on America Out Loud that I'll include in the podcast under our show, we have something called the federal fault line. And it's interesting because to the right of the line, to the east of the line, we have the original 13 colonies plus a number of new colonies or new states in which more than 95% of the land is controlled by the state, only about 4% is controlled by the federal government. But what's the, what's the case to the, the west of this line? Well, it's, uh, it's totally different. And yet the founders made sure that all states were treated uh, equally. The original 13 states had both dominion and sovereignty with respect to land within the state's borders. And the national government's land holdings were very little and in accordance to the purposes outlined in the Constitution. As you say, east of the Mississippi, it only averages about 4% of uh, federal uh, land. The founders declared in several documents that all future states were to be accepted in the union on an equal footing in all aspects uh, with all the original states. So you would have thought that uh, they would maintain control of, of most of the, the land, but things really changed. The Northwest Ordinance of 1787 and some other ordinances like it uh, outlined the specific procedures for accepting new states into the Union. And it's interesting to note, when the land came into possession of the United States in the Founders era, such as a huge Louisiana territory, efforts were made to organize it so that when sufficient population was present, it could be converted into sovereign states. Much of the land was sold directly 
to the people and the proceeds used to pay off the national debt. The Louisiana Purchase is uh, one of the most amazing uh, things. The year 1835 was the only time in our history, Tom, that the national debt was completely paid off. The founders were loyal to the constitutional requirements in two ways. One, the disposition of the land of the people, and two, paying off of the national debt. So when we took over that huge amount of land in the Louisiana Purchase, as quickly as possible, the federal government sold the land of the people and used the income to pay off the national debt. And, and it's the way it should be. Do you know our entire federal debt? You know how the many trillions that we all talk about that uh, Mr. Biden and his folks are increasing by the day the national debt. Do you know every single penny of that debt could be paid off if the federal government started selling off a portion of the land they own that they have no use for, land that they've just basically taken out of use of the public. It's truly a, a disgrace. And land they shouldn't have in the first place. Absolutely. So just to reiterate then, the drive to create national parks and to save the land, as the environmentalists would say, by federalizing it, that's not actually legal. I mean, it's not it's not allowed by the Constitution. That's exactly correct. It is not allowed by the, uh, the, by the Constitution. The enabling acts of the Western states, the original 13 states and later Midwestern and Southern states, currently have very little federal lands, in some cases as low as 1% within their boundaries, uh, as required by the Constitution. But when the Western states applied for statehood, a whole new philosophy was in vogue in Washington, D.C. It's as though the age-old kingly philosophy that the founders fought so hard to eliminate had returned and the central powers saw opportunities to control the people by retaining control of their, their land. So it's just been an entire different philosophy when it came to uh, the Western states uh, coming into the Union. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like the Western states should have immediately taken ownership of all the land that wasn't already privately owned as soon as they became states. But you're saying they didn't stand up and tell the feds, well, it's all our land now. They didn't do that. That's exactly right. It's hard to understand that. Generally, our Western state culture is considered more independent than the Eastern states but the federal government were able to uh, cajole them or what have you to leaving the bulk of the land uh, within the federal government. The, mm. the passage of the Forest Preserve Act of 1891, not long after some Western states came into the Union, California came in in 1850, Nevada in 1864, uh, the tendency grew from the federal government to not dispose of land within the respective states as agreed in the Enabling Act, but to set aside lands for other purposes. And Yellow, Yosemite Park, Yellowstone were among those passed in the Forest Preserve Act of 1891. It included authority for the president to do whatever he wanted, even though it was outside the boundary and authority of the Constitution. Mm -hmm. uh, this act in 1891 included a short rider uh, to Section 24 which really set things in the wrong direction. 
The writer said that the president of the United States may from time to time set apart and reserve in any state or territory having public land bearing forest in any part of the public lands, wholly or in part covered with timber or undergrowth, whether of commercial value or not, as public reservations. And the president shall, by public proclamation, declare the establishment of such reservation and limits thereof. So uh -huh. the Forest Reserve Act of 1891 set in motion the whole terrible program that, as you pointed out earlier, Tom, 150 years ago, uh, began the land grab of the federal government taking land away from the states. And we've suffered ever since. But again, it's all unconstitutional, and we should be able to fight back and in many cases sue the federal government. Uh, and, you know, one of the things I want to talk more about is the states run their state parks better than the national parks. Uh, people don't think that, but it's really true. All of these fabulous national parks that exist today under the national government could just as easily be run by uh, state governments. You know, it's, it's our tax money that runs the nationals. That money could be given a block grants to the states to take over many, many more of those parks. Mm -hmm. So it sounds to me, Jay, that the Forest Reserve Act of 1891 was unconstitutional. I mean, how do you pass acts that are actually against your constitution? Uh, Tom, I find that amusing that you uh, uh, say that in this day and age. Uh, our current administration has been doing things that are unconstitutional almost on a daily basis. So, uh, you know, it's not new. You know, people revere Teddy Roosevelt, and he, he was a good guy. He was a conservationist. You know, he was a warrior, but he was also really not into capitalism as much as something more to everybody's sharing and that the government, a much stronger uh, central government. So, you know, there were good things about him, but when it comes to private land, he was not so much uh, in, in favor of it. He really liked the idea of the government controlling the land. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. And of course, as just going back to your tragedy of the commons, I mean, a great illustration of that is what we found when the Berlin Wall finally came down and communism collapsed in Russia, we saw the incredible environmental destruction by having so much of the land owned by the government. So, I mean, the idea that they're going to somehow protect it better than the average citizen or better than the states, I mean, that environmental premise is simply wrong, isn't it? It couldn't be wronger. I mean, you're exactly, you have described the tragedy of the, com of the commons in East Berlin, a total uh, destruction of a of a country, you know. To call a spade a spade, uh, Teddy Roosevelt really was a socialist. I mean, a, a wonderful fellow. Nobody ever says bad things about him. But when it came to all his uh, conservation ideas, uh, all of his national parks ideas, uh, they they sound good. But he was a socialist at heart, and there was certainly no land that he wouldn't rather see under the jurisdiction of the federal government uh, rather than private property. As a result, the federal government today claims to own or control most of the Western uh, states. Nevada, the federal government owns 86%. 
Arizona, 75%. Utah, 75%. Oregon, 75%. Idaho, 75%. Alaska, 71%. Wyoming, 65 New Mexico, 60 California, 55 Colorado, 50 Montana, 45 Washington, 40 They own the West. They yeah. own the West. And mm -hmm. uh, it is not a good thing. For the most part, they've put land that belongs to the people off limits for the people. Yeah, and now that's an interesting point because some people would argue that having the lands owned by the federal government is going to actually make it more accessible to the average person. But you're saying a lot of it, maybe most of it would be less accessible. There's no question about it. I mean, we love our national parks. We like to take our RVs and, uh, and get a spot there. And our national parks are terrific. I think there are now 364 of them, but they're, they're not as accessible. Uh, one of the things that was really annoying to me, you know, we've had a lot of government shutdowns. And when the, uh, the government is shut down, one of the ways they really try to punish the people is closing all the parks. The national park workers have been known to put up all kinds of barriers to stopping people during a government shutdown and, and also taking those people off the payroll for short periods of time. Any way the federal government can punish the people with a government shutdown, they've done it. And the national parks have really been one of the the ways they've done it most effectively mm -hmm. and of course if it was all owned by the states or by individuals the feds couldn't hold that lever over the public well you, you said it all tom the last thing the federal government wants is for the state government to own more of their land and that really would be the push now of course some of the states would say they don't have enough money to operate the parks uh, more parks in their state but I would say for sure, if the federal government gave the states 50% of the money they spend on the national parks within the 50 states, the states would do a better job of managing them than the federal government. But that would scare the heck out of the federal government. Ownership of land is, uh, is power that they have, and they don't want to re relinquish it. Mm -hmm. Now, besides Teddy Roosevelt, were there other presidents who actually grabbed more land than they really should have? Uh, there certainly have been. Clinton, to some extent, uh, Carter was huge at grabbing land. You might not guess who the biggest land grabber of all has been. It was President Obama. He wanted all the land he could get uh, on his way out of office. He grabbed a million acres in Utah in the midst of a time when the Utah's state representatives, their House and Senate, voted overwhelming not to allow Obama uh, to take a million acres of, of land from their state. He just ignored it. The ability of our federal administration to walk roughshod over the Constitution and even state legislators has been uh, amazing. Wouldn't be very hard to make a case that uh, half of everything the Biden administration has done in its uh, six or eight months in office could be ruled unconstitutional, but uh, we don't have a court system that does anything but support the administration. Even mm -hmm. 
the Supreme Court has been quite a disappointment. We named three so-called conservative justices to the court, but they wouldn't even consider any of the lawsuits that were uh, trying to show there was a lot of hanky-panky in the last presidential election. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this is really disastrous for a country when its own laws, its own constitution are being violated by the people in charge because the courts won't enforce the law. Am I understanding that right? You're understanding it exactly right. Uh, we we have a big problem in this uh, country, and we're going to have it at least for another 14 months or so until the next election in uh, November of 2022. There are few people in the country today, and I, I'm sure that 98% of our listeners would agree, who are not being harmed or damaged uh, by the actions of this government uh, during its first eight months in office. Uh, our gasoline prices are going up, our electricity prices are going up, uh, inflation is uh, becoming fairly obvious. I'm really uh, not disappointed in all the, the bad things they're doing, the absurdity of trying to give money away to uh, everybody and making it so that more people are happy to stay home than going to work. I, I'm very confident that in November of 2022, the vast majority of the public are ready to uh, vote uh, a new party into office in most of the congressional districts. I think it'll be a, a landslide. So uh, in all the things that we're talking about that are, are bad, there is a silver lining. And the silver lining is they're not going to get away from, with it for too long. Huh. Yeah. Well, on that note, let's go to commercial break. And when we come back, we'll talk about a new book called How the West Was Lost, actually written in 2000. And we'll talk about, you know, other factors, like what would Biden do with that land? <laughs> so stay tuned. We'll be back right after the break. Let's get real. Let's get loud. On America Out Loud Talk Radio, this is McCullough Report. Are you tired of your tired vitamins? Consider Healthy Cell. These are pill-free vitamins that are in convenient gel packs uh, I like the Focus and Recall supplement. I use this a lot. You know, your brain uses a lot of energy and it depends on a variety of micronutrients and vitamins. Boost your short-term focus and long-term brain power with Healthy Cell's Focus and Recall vitamins. So go to HealthyCell.com, use the code OUTLOUD, all capital letters, OUTLOUD for a 20% off your first order of any Healthy Cell product. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is McCullough Report. In 2008, the amount of concentrated time people could spend on a task without becoming distracted was 12 seconds. Five years later, it was only eight seconds, one second less than a goldfish. If you find yourself always distracted or having trouble recalling information, you're likely to fall behind in the demanding, fast-paced 21st century. In other words, brain performance is more critical now than ever. Boost your brain power with Healthy Cells Focus Plus Recall. Science-backed nootropics to sharpen focus, concentrate longer, enhance recall, improve mental speed, learn rapidly, and be more alert. It's a pill-free brain supplement made with maximum absorption technology designed to feed our brains at the cellular level. Take it for a test drive. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Focus Plus Recall. That's HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 20% off. 
America Out Loud family is comprised of patriots in the true sense of the word. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty and the Constitution to help save America for future generations to come. AmericaOutloud.com It's a fight for the soul of humanity. So Jay, there was a book written in 2000 called How the West Was Lost. Can you tell us about that? Yes, uh, William C. Hayward wrote the book in 2000, How the West Was Lost. Uh, he discusses the theft and usurpation of states' property rights. Uh, he documents the gradual and powerful takeover of one of America's most precious resources, its land. Uh, it's interesting that the loss of America's property ownership nearly parallels the ongoing loss of individual rights in so many other areas. Uh, it's a new philosophy that is engulfing our majestic land and a philosophy that will would destroy America if we don't awaken to it, uh, to our awful situation. And I've seen it all over the country. I uh, spend a good deal of time around uh, the Adirondack Mountains in the, in the Northeast, where uh, the government is, is literally taking over more and more of uh, public lands and uh, making it into conservation uh, districts where literally people use the right to lose their, their backyard. So what Hayward said is the loss of our uh, power in terms of land ownership, we're losing all kinds of individual rights. I mean, everything that deals with uh, the woke generation, the critical race theory, the idea that now uh, a man who says he's a woman can be in a swimming race against women or in a track meet. The rules that set up our country and the constitution are being ignored uh, one after the other. And so really what we're talking about today with regard to property rights and the federal government uh, removing as much of it from us as they can uh, is symbolic of everything they're trying to do is reducing their freedoms. If you look at any organization today, Tom, that is uh, battling the standard of living that uh, we've had, whether it's Black Lives Matter or the critical race theory, uh, all the organizations that support what uh, or trying to fight against us, their real goal is to take away our freedoms. You uh, read any newspaper article where there's a debate between uh, the past administration, the current administration, or, or different organizations, uh, you'll find the goal of one side of the issue is to reduce our personal freedoms. Is there any better example than COVID? Uh, mm -hmm. They wanted us shut in our houses. They want us to wear masks. There is so much scientific evidence that the masks were useless. And I've discussed this with so many doctors in medical operating rooms that use masks in, in surgery to explain that our masks were useless. There's mm -hmm. no evidence that a six foot separation was useful. The whole point was to get people compliant and 
compliance essentially is another way of saying give up your freedoms and yeah. that's what's been uh, been going on and uh, William Hayward in a book he wrote uh, two decades ago pointed this out that the the loss of land to the federal government is just another indication of that and the new executive order 14008 that Biden signed three days into administration wanting to take over an additional 30% of our land and water could not be a better example of this. Just going back to the COVID and the mask issue, I find that interesting. A lot of people are saying, well, look, if you have a cold, covering your face makes sense. But when it comes to COVID, is the virus actually so small it just goes through the mask? Like, what's the problem there? That's exactly the case. Uh, the masks have been proven medically and research-wide to have been use- useless. And mm-hmm. it was just a matter of compliance. And the sad thing is uh, that, you know, you, you go somewhere right now in Ohio, you don't have to wear a mask, Florida, you don't have to wear a mask, and it's, uh, it's crossing the country. But there's still areas, I know in airports, uh, I know some people have tried an experiment to go through an airport without a mask and see how long it would take uh, before somebody uh, yelled at them to wear a mask. It really bring, brings out f- officious people that want uh, power, uh, they can say, oh, wear your mask. I have a friend who uh, recently had this uh, happen to him, just a stranger, not a peace officer or any kind of a official, uh, yelled at him to uh, put on a, a mask when he wasn't required to. And he came, uh, my friend came out with a, an interesting uh, comment. He said, oh, have a good day, Mr. Mayor, which was a, a joke of, uh, on the person kind of, indicating, oh, he thought he was the mayor of the town and he could enforce it. So, Uh yeah, all of this is really intended to enforce compliance. And, you know, compliance is the middle name of the entire Democratic administration. But it's going to it's going to turn around and bite them. So considering how the West was lost, if you were to sum up that book, did they lose it simply by joining the union under conditions that they would be treated like the Eastern states, but they weren't and they didn't stand up for it. So is that like primarily the reason or the way they lost their land? That, that's exactly the reason, Tom. But the, uh, the, the federal government uh, that admitted these areas to statehood did an awful lot of politicking, an awful lot of lobbying, and, and also told an awful lot of lies uh, with regard to bringing these areas into statehood as uh, having them cede a great deal of their land to the federal government. So there, there was really a lot of blackmail going on. And we had almost a monolithic attitude in, in Washington. Uh, if they were going to allow more states into the, into the union, they uh, wanted something in exchange for it. And that was land. I mean, there, there are no governments that don't want to increase their power. And uh, certainly uh, increasing the amount of land the federal government owns within a new state is a, an obvious way uh, to increase that power. So if you had a territory before they became state, would the land within the territory be legitimately owned by the Fed? No. Generally, that land... In, in some loose way was owned by the, by the territory, by the non-state. 
and they turned it over to the federal government as part of coming into statehood. Uh, mm -hmm. in, in all of the eastern states, that never happened. There was land was owned by the federal government, kind of as you said, but it was very quickly sold off to the states. It's amazing to read the history of all the states uh, east of the Mississippi and how differently the politics were that allowed uh, the states to uh, take over, you know, all but a, a tiny percentage. As I pointed out, the average east of the Mississippi uh, of all the states is about 4%, but many of the states, uh, less than 1% is owned by the federal government. Yeah, like Texas. I look at this map here from the American Lands Council, and Texas just has a few little spots. It looks like about 1%. And, and Iowa looks like it has nothing uh, owned by the feds, maybe just a couple of dots. And then I look to the West, and I should encourage people to go to the American Lands Council website, because, man, the federal fault line is like two different countries on each side. Wow. So what are the agencies actually that manage federal lands at this point, Jay? Uh, there are quite a few, and with few exceptions, they don't do a great job. There is the Bureau of Land Management that is the original BLM, doesn't stand for Black Lives Matter. It's the Bureau of Land Management. They're in charge of uh, the bulk of our land. The National Park Service uh, has now 384 parks. The Forest Service uh, manages those areas of forest that need to be protected from fire, in a few cases, uh, harvested. And then, of course, the Fish and Wildlife Bureau runs a, a lot of it where wildlife and fish need to be uh, protected. And, and finally, the Bureau of Indian Affairs uh, controls the land on uh, Indian reservations. So uh, that's quite a few agencies. They do not work together. I can say they do not work together at all. That's a huge blanket statement, but I've been involved with all of those uh, agencies over a 60-year career, and I've yet to see any cooperation. Uh, most federal agencies don't cooperate with each other. Uh, everybody wants the most power they can uh, possibly uh, have, and, uh, and they do. So mm -hmm. I would say there are no, and, and I've done so much work with state land management agencies uh, I've never worked within a state, and I've worked in many, where I didn't think the state uh, did a better job than the federal government managing their land. You know, local government is, is always the best. The closer you are to what you govern, the better it'll be, because you're, you're dealing with your neighbors. I mean, any of the state agencies, whether it's even an environmental protection agency, Department of Transportation, whatever state agency is involved, they have to make rulings that affect their, literally their neighbors, people across mm -hmm. the, the, the back fence. They do a better job. So all of the land management of, the, of federal lands, in my uh, opinion, and it's uh, an opinion with a lot of experience, uh, could be done an awful lot better. Mm -hmm. Can you contrast what, what Trump did in contrast to what Obama did and, and what Biden is starting to do? Like, how is Trump different? What was his approach, actually? Well, the best contrast would be night and day. There could not be a, a bigger contrast. Uh, Trump's, all of his advisory people looked at all these agencies and, and looked at 
how the public's enjoyment and use of the federal land could be enhanced. And he broke down many, many restrictions of uh, the Bureau of Land Management. Uh, he, he opened up more uh, Park Service land, the Forest Service. He tried to get them to pull dead trees out of the forest so that you wouldn't have so much tinder for the next fire. fire. The Forest Service has not done a good job of managing land in terms of restricting forest uh, fires. It's almost done the opposite. Uh, As to fish and wildlife, he wanted to open up more uh, land to hunting and and fishing with no damage to the environment at all. He really did a tremendous job. And of course, as soon as Biden took office, the first thing they did is try to undo uh, everything that, uh, that Trump has done. And they've done a pretty good job of that. There's some really good quotes that I wanted to read to you from our article. First of all, the idea as to who are the best ones to manage the land. And if we talk back to Kansas native, your president, Dwight D. Eisenhower, he really hit the nail on the head when he said, and I'll quote, when he was in, in office, this is what he said, farming looks mighty easy when your plow is a pencil and you are a thousand miles from a cornfield. <laughs> very, very perceptive. Now, what about this fellow, Senator Roger Marshall, Republican from Kansas. He's also a member of the Senate Committee on Agriculture, Nutrition, and Forest. What does he say about Biden's executive order? Well, he is uh, infuriated by it because he knows uh, the huge cost to his state of Kansas, that the large percentage of the income of the entire state of Kansas is farm income. Uh, There are as many as 100,000 jobs related to agriculture in Kansas that would be lost if you remove 30% of the farmland and 30% of the water from the state of, uh, of Kansas. So he is uh, originating a bill to do nothing else but uh, undo, uh, destroy the opportunity for Biden's executive order 14008, which uh, the farmers call 30 by 30. And the reason it's, it's 30 by 30, the first 30 is they want to take over in some way without saying how they're going to do it. They want to take over 30% of, of all land that they don't currently manage for conservation. They want to take over 30% of the water rights of all the land they don't manage. And they want to do it by the year 2030. So the second 30 is from the year 2030. Happily, one of the things that I like about everything Biden does, the year that he's planning to do it is never uh, 2022, 23, 24. He will be long gone. I think nobody questions the fact that he will be a a one-term president. And I think they will not keep the White House, uh, whether Trump runs again and wins, or maybe Governor DeSantis from Florida, or any number of uh, good candidates will take over. And all of the things that the Biden administration uh, sets in motion for a few years down the road past his presidency, they are not going to happen. So they, they really don't, uh, as much as people can be depressed and say everything he's doing is terrible, it isn't going to happen. I mean, he would like to do away, of course, with all fossil fuels. 
You know, that isn't going to happen. He would like to do away with internal combustion engines. That isn't going to happen. And, and in a sense, you know, he's really showing his hand and showing the public the insanity of the kind of things that they're doing. Yeah, it's, it's sort of interesting that they're so confident. They're not even hiding from us what they're doing. And I think that's actually a great benefit to us. They've coined a new term. Uh, the word is disinformation. And they basically define disinformation as anything they don't agree with. So now anything conservatives say at all is considered disinformation. And Facebook is helping them uh, to do that. And you're saying they're, they're doing this stuff out in front. They're being transparent. Uh, I've got to laugh. What could be a better example of that than the president's son, Hunter Biden, all of a sudden becoming a, a painter uh, with no uh, artistic background and selling his uh, paintings for a half a million dollars to unknown buyers. I mean, that's uh, uh, clearly <laughs> he's selling uh, he's selling influence to the president in the most open way. It's actually laughable. But, uh, you know, while he's getting away with it on a daily basis, uh, the public is not stupid enough uh, not to know exactly what the president's son is doing out there in the open, as you point out, Tom, they are, are brazen beyond belief. Yeah, exactly. On the website, Right Side Patriots, Craig Anderson pointed out that if the federal government ends up owning 30% of the farm and ranch land, they'll be able to decide, you know, what kind of livestock can be raised on, raised on that land, what prices can be charged, and all sorts of things about the commodities. Is that, do you think, do you agree with that? Oh, Totally. I don't think there's any question about it. Uh, I don't understand these evil people. Uh, I don't understand what they get out of wanting to enslave our, our entire population and, and dance to their tune in everything we do every day. I do not understand it, but it's clearly obvious that that's what they want to do. And they're now joined by all America's, you know, we, they're called oligarchs, the super rich in Russia. Uh, we just call them our billionaires. But our billionaires uh, have all the things that money can buy. Uh, they're, they're at some level of an advanced age. So uh, all they have left to do in life is to increase their power, uh, power over people. And that is what they're doing. They all they can't do it in a capitalist society. They can only do it in a socialist society. And all of our billionaires uh, become socialists, ultimately communists, ultimately wanting total control over everything the population does. It certainly wouldn't interest me. I don't know why it interests them. Uh, you know, they're shooting off rockets into space, selling seats. They think that's a big deal. Uh, it isn't really a big deal compared to landing people on the moon or going to Mars, but they show off that way. But their real idea is to uh, control people. And uh, it's sad, but it's so out in the open as Hunter Biden's paintings are, they're not going to get away with it for very long. Yeah, it's almost like a, a boy builds a tree fort and he climbs up in the tree fort, then he pulls up the ladder after him. So no one else can come into the tree fort. I mean, they made their billions in a capitalistic system, and yet they're trying to destroy the system so no one else can follow their example. Tom, there is no better example. I mean, we've all 
many of us as kids probably experienced that. I, I know I did. My next door neighbor and a lot uh, built a tree fort and uh, initially didn't want to let me up. Uh, eventually, uh, he did let me up and I climbed up into his very nice little treehouse. But you're what a great analogy. It's one that every one of our listeners, I think, can relate to. That's who the billionaires are. And it's very sad. I, you know, uh, I think uh, a lot of money destroys people's minds. You know, money is the root of all evil. I think we're watching it. We really are watching it, whether it's Facebook or Amazon or, or Bill Gates. I think that kind of money destroys people's minds in terms of uh, continuing to do good. They, they literally, as far as I'm concerned, and I'm sure many of our listeners would agree, they, they become evil. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well said. You know, one thing I think readers might have a hard time understanding is how does an executive order entitled Tackling the Climate Crisis at Home and Abroad, how does that lead to obfuscation of huge, huge amounts of land? And if you read actually deeper into the executive order, it says this, and here's a clue as to what they want to do with all that land and why they need it. The Secretary of the Interior shall review siting and permitting processes on public land and in offshore waters to identify to the task force steps that can be taken Here's the important part, consistent with applicable law, to increase renewable energy production on those lands and in those waters with the goal of doubling offshore wind by 2030, et cetera. So, I mean, it sounds like they may not use them for farming anymore. They may take them out of production and cover them with solar and wind farms. Oh, I don't think there's any, any question about that. They totally ignore how important that land is for producing uh, are inexpensive of, of food. They totally ignore the fact that who better than a farmer to take care of his land, to be conservative, to uh, care about the environment. Nobody better than the farmer himself. I mean, there's nobody in his right mind thinks the federal government would manage a single acre of land better than a farmer would. It, it just absolutely makes no sense. And that's exactly right. It's all about wind and solar. Their primary thrust, and, and you know, I, I don't think hardly any of our uh, listeners would think that fossil fuel and the emission of carbon dioxide has any negative impact on our planet. Uh, it in fact has no impact on the thermostat of the planet. And most people recognize that the people in Congress that are saying we only had 12 years to live now, it's probably 10 or eight. I mean, it's all absurd, but all yeah. it is meant to do is to control our population. And they're going to be, they would be able to do it. I mean, if we really did stop our fossil fuels and tried to run the country on these wind turbines and solar cells that they will set up on the land they want to take over, obviously it can't be done. And so the federal government is going to have to ration energy. Rationing energy is their ultimate goal. It's the same reason they're pushing electric cars. They know there's not enough electric electricity for everybody to have an electric car, so they would have to decide who gets the electricity for their car to travel wherever it is they want to go. You know, one thing, Jay, if people think you're exaggerating on rationing, take a, take, take a, they should take a look at Biden's EO. While he's pushing hard, 
to increase renewable energy production on public lands. He also said this in the EO, the secretary shall pause new oil and natural gas leases on public land, etc. And so, so they're, they're gonna kill the useful energy generators on public land and start to cover our forests. Of course, have to cut down a lot of the trees. You're gonna to have to really you know, destroy a lot of the land to make them you're going to replace them with wind and solar power. So it's not just that they're bringing in wind and solar, they're wanting to stop oil and natural gas leases on public land as well. Well, you know, as we get toward the end of the program, there's one piece of good news I can share. You're correct. They want to stop uh, drilling on federal lands. They want to stop continued development of oil and gas leases. Uh, but interestingly, it is not happening. Uh, the uh, Department of Interior that's in charge of uh, oil and gas uh, leases has not slowed down uh, or come close to stopping. In fact, uh, the Department of the Interior is uh, on target to issue more oil and gas leases uh, this year than any year since uh, 2008 when uh, Bush Sr. was in office. Now, that is likely because Trump had already set in motion all of these leases and were they to cancel things that were already moving through the pipeline, uh, perhaps that would create more legal problems than they want to encounter. But I think the audience would be glad to know, at least at the moment, nothing whatsoever is being done to slow uh, oil drilling on federal land and the development of new oil and gas reserves. Uh, and that's certainly a good thing. What happens a year from now, we can't be sure, but a year from now, we're, uh, we're closer to uh, taking back the Congress, which uh, I'm, uh, let me be totally optimistic and go out on a limb for everybody listening to this show. We will take back the House of Representatives in a landslide in November of 2022. And I think at least a small majority in the Senate. That's going to cripple uh, the insane things that the Biden administration is doing virtually every day. And it sounds like he's going to drive away voters, especially in places like Kansas. You know, this senator, uh, Senator Marshall uh, from Kansas, his 30 by 30 termination act, do you think that has a reasonable chance of getting anywhere? It certainly is raising attention. Oh, I, I think it'll pass. I, I really yeah. do. Uh, I, I don't even know if it'll, you know, if Biden will continue with the 3030. Uh, he, he passed the executive order. He's not written a single sentence saying how he's going to take over 30% of the land, 30% of the water by 2030. There, there are no details at all, which tells me they have no clue uh, what they're doing. So uh, I'm not sure that Senator Marshall's bill just rattling the bill might uh, slow or eliminate 30 by 30. But if it actually uh, gets to the floor and is voted on, uh, I am quite confident uh, the farm states will will carry the day. There, there still are some a few sane people left in the House and the Senate. Mm -hmm. Well, just to quote another from the article written in the High Plains Journal from Senator Roger Marshall, he says, it's a double whammy, and he's talking about Biden's EO. It's a double whammy, less economic activity and higher cost of living. I need not remind folks that agriculture and its related businesses have roughly $30 billion impact on Kansas City region. And like you were saying, Jay, supports more than 100,000 
jobs in the greater Kansas City area. Uh, losing 10 billion and 34,000 jobs would devastate Kansas City where our agriculture products routinely pass through on trucks, trains, and barges. It goes on to say Wichita, for example, could lose 2,100 jobs and 600 million. So it is quite wonderful to see that Senator Marshall is brave enough not only to bring out this bill, but to write directly to the public in High Plains Journal. And, you know, we'll include an, a link to that article under this podcast. So, Jay, you know, that that's really interesting. It's not just that he wants to take over state land and, and try to increase it to 30%. He wants to cover it with these ridiculous so-called green energy sources, none of which are green, of course, at all, as we've discussed at length, and all of which is <laughs> highly dictatorial. So, Jay, you're saying in conclusion, you think that this will end in about 14, 15 months when the House will be changing sides. Uh, absolutely, Tom. And uh, it's more than just Kansas. Imagine every other farm state around Kansas feels the same way and would suffer the same losses. 16 uh, governors have now written a letter to Mr. Biden objecting to his uh, Executive Order 14008, the uh, 30 by 30 uh, ruling. Uh, I don't think it's going to get anywhere. And the more ridiculous things he does, uh, the more people will uh, eventually turn on him. And he's really creating a platform for every conservative uh, representative to run on against uh, Democratic uh, House members. Uh, I think he's doing our work for us. And that's why I'm so confident that in the uh, November 2022 election, we will take back the House in a landslide. They only have a three or four seat majority now. Uh, I predict uh, our majority will be in, in the 10 to 20 range, and that's gonna cripple the insanity that Mr. Biden moves with uh, virtually week to week. Well, that's a wonderful way to end. <laughs> I hope you're right. Anyway, this is Tom Harris and Jay Lear signing out from the other side of the story. 